Hello, protocols, packets, and programs. HTTP response codes from 100 to 199 are informational responses. And since this is episode 199, it'll be the most informational one possible. Luckily, the next response codes from 200 to 299 are for success. So it only gets better from here. Which means this week we talk with Nikhil Gupta about the pain points that leaders in the application security space are facing and how building a community helps. In the news segment, results from Pwn to Own, charts from the DBIR, flaws from XML, $10 million bounty from one line of code, and more. Make a request and stay tuned for Application Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show to learn the latest tools, techniques, and processes necessary to understand DevOps, application security, and cloud security. Your trusted source for the latest application security news. It's time for Application Security Weekly. SUSE.io makes security tools for everyone. SUSE's flat rate pricing means you can set up SCA and DAS tools for your whole team. No seat counts, no scan limits, and you never have to talk to a salesperson. SUSE integrates with all common CI/CD platforms and supports most popular package managers. And thanks to SUSE's open source vulnerability scanner, license management suite, and SBOM generation capability, you can get back to what you really want to be doing, coding in no time. Visit securityweekly.com slash SUSE. This is episode 199, recorded May 27th, 2022. I'm your host, Mike Shima, and I'm here with John Kinsella. Hello, John. Mike, I am very happy it's Friday. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> that is good. We want a happy John, especially for some of the news articles we're about to cover later on. <laughs> Um, and while you think about that, uh, you can also save $100 on your RSA Conference 2022 full conference pass. RSA Conference will be live in San Francisco this June 6th through 9th, coming soon. Security Weekly will be there in full force, delivering real-time live coverage and interviewing some of the event's top speakers and sponsors. To register using our discount code, please visit securityweekly.com slash RSAC2022 and use the code 52UCYBER. We'll see you there. And don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. Visit securityweekly.com slash subscribe to subscribe on any of our podcast feeds and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms. Nikhil Gupta is the founder and CEO of Armor Code. He is a successful serial entrepreneur with more than 25 years of experience leading high-growth security teams. Prior to founding Armor Code, he was the CEO and co-founder of Avid Secure, acquired by Sophos, a market-leading AI-powered multi-cloud security and compliance platform. Gupta is also one of the creators of the Purple Book community, a diverse community of security leaders who are examining issues related to software security. It started out as a project to write a book on best practices, grew into a community of hundreds of software security leaders, and has now launched his own conference, AppSecCon. Hello, Nikhil. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, so we're happy to have you here because we're looking at two aspects of AppSec, I think. One is just... How do we? How, how can we? What what are these pain points that that security leaders are running into today? Maybe a little bit of the background question there is: Has it changed? Are we still dealing with the same pain points where we were ten years ago, twenty years ago, and and, and later? But I'd also love to get into the community aspect for uh, aspect as well. But first, maybe tell us a little bit about what you see as the pain points, or what this community sees about the pain points right now within AppSec. 
Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, Mike, I started my career 20 plus years ago at Bell Labs. And, uh, you know, as a developer, you know, with all humility, I didn't care about security. And, you know, <laughs> 20 years forward, I'm talking about security. So what happened here is while the software development has transformed over the last 20 years, so we used to have monolithic application. We have all microservices based application. We used to have once a year release in waterfall. Now we have the agile application uh, development practices and we barely used open source. And now 70 to 80% of the software is all open source and the development is happening on the cloud. So while the application development has transformed rigorously, as you may have seen, application security is still not changed. It is still antiquated and painful. So what are the pains over there? So number one pain point over there here is you need at least a dozen tools to secure one application. Yes, you heard it right. More than 12 SESS, DAS, RASP, IS, Dependency, Bug Bounty, Fuzzy Logic. I always challenge myself to see how fast I can say that to see if it can be of any less pain, but no. And what happens here is all the organization that you're talking about, like, uh, you know, any from small to large company, we are a startup, we may probably have, I don't know how many applications I have, how how I can secure, and God bless all these Fortune 500, Global 5000, or even medium to large enterprises. So that is one thing, we have all these tools which are generating a whole bunch of false positive, and companies have hundreds and thousands of application security vulnerabilities. Number two, the main problem here is that all the outputs of these tools are you know, disparate. They're not talking to each other. So whenever an issue like log4j happens, guess what? You know, you have to take the outputs and you have to put it into Excel sheets and customers are living in Excel hell. And then the third thing here is application security, you know, as you mentioned, Mike, is not a new problem. It's been there forever. So there are three disparate organizations. So there's a security team, there's a developer community, and then there's operations. So there's a three set of people who are oppositely aligned or differently aligned because security wants to make it secure, which inherently means slow. And developers don't care, as I said, or at least don't used to care, and they're beginning to care about it. But they want the software out yesterday and operations want is robust. And last but not the least, the biggest pain point here is this one application security engineer for every 100 developers. So that makes the problem even more uh, painful. Now, I'll just share what recently happened and then I'll tell you like why we took the community route. So what happened is like not too long ago in December of 2020, we had solar winds. At that time, we thought, okay, it happened zero day attack after five years, so we'll live with it. And guess what happened in December of 2021? Log4j, another zero day for application security. So now what people are really, really concerned about is what's going to happen on December 22, what's coming this Christmas. And, and this is a problem they don't want. Like now people want to learn from their experiences. So while I was you know, going through these pain points in my past life, uh, I talked to several security leaders. And what I found out was there was no good community for the security leaders to talk about. There was no particular platform. And... Uh, People told me clearly and distinctly that it's more of a people problem, not a technology problem, because there are probably 3,000 plus startups who are doing DevSecOps and all those things over there. So it's a uh, it's a people problem. And that's when we bunch of uh, security leaders, we got together and created uh, this community, which we were like, as you said, we are going to write an open source book, which we just recently launched at NASDAQ was that uh, 
30 authors, very distinguished, sharing their experiences, and we launched the Purple Book. And now what happened was we started with 30 security engineers. It became a community of 300 plus people. And now it's a big movement. And that's where we launched AppSecCon, the so world's largest application security conference. We had 2,200, maybe now 2,500 uh, people. There were a lot of CPE credits there. People can still go and register and uh, listen to the content. So it was a phenomenal success. Just happened a couple of weeks ago and encouraged people to go there and at least still access to the content. So there's uh there's that that's quite the journey that uh, we've we've got already for from this intro. I want to pick apart a couple of those aspects as you hit on some some interesting areas, uh, some paths to go out down. For example, early on talking about. DevOps or the change from waterfall to DevOps that the engineering side of the of the house is doing, if you will. Um, but it sounds like, you know, to, to maybe beat up a little bit of the metaphor, application security is still doing a waterfall of sorts, or at least they're doing something that's drowning all of the dev side in uh, vulnerabilities, whether they're false positives or not. And so we've, we've talked in the past about quality of tools, things like that. But maybe I want, instead of going down that route specifically, I want to tweak it a bit to talk more about that Log4j aspect because you, you touched on people and I think process as well is an important aspect here. And we're not going to buy a tool that protects us from the next zero day. And I don't think we need to, we, we shouldn't be scrambling just to say, oh, there's another zero day. Now, what the heck do we do? It sounds like some of these security leaders are hopefully talking with each other and planning that, sure, maybe there will be another solar winds, another log for j There's got to be some better ways to prepare for it. So how are you seeing the, the people and process aspect of that preparation for just uh, for the next, for, for whatever's going to come at the end of this 2022? So it's a very good question, Mike. And again, uh, in the application security conference AppSecCon, a lot of the leaders, and this was one of the hot topics, and I had the distinct pleasure to uh, interview uh, Bashar, who is the global CISO of Charles Schwab. And he brought up a very good point. What he mentioned was that while there are two things what people are trying to do. So one people is they're trying to move security to the left. Yes, which is everyone needs to go there and eventually will go there depending upon the organization side. But the other aspect, what he mentioned, and I totally agree, and as I've been talking to the other leaders, is that operations aspect is even more important. Because to your point here, zero days will continue to happen. I'm sorry. Unfortunately, that's why they're called zero day, because they will happen. But now what happens here is that when that happens, you need to have a process. So I'll just walk you through what people were doing in lack of, you know, and I'm not trying to hear and make a pitch for apps, uh, armor code, if you will, but just I'm talking about the approach that we have taken and what we are hearing from the security leaders. So in absence of armor code or a platform like application security operations platform like armor code, what happened was zero day like log4j happens. Now, number one, organization doesn't even know how many applications they have. So first thing is the board or the CEO will frantically ask the security leaders, hey, uh, I want all of these applications to be identified that are impacted by log4j. Then I want to prioritize them, which ones are important, which ones are going to be like revenue killer or the brand killer. I want them to be fixed. I want to be ensured at the same time that how it's not going to happen in future. So like one of our customers, what they did was they bought a SCA tool, which is a great tool, and they ran out on 800 repositories. And then what they did was they connected the SCA tool directly to a Jira ticketing system for the flow. And guess what? 
they created 4,000 tickets. And instead of reducing the work, they created more work for them. And when the security team did their job, quote unquote, and got to the engineering team, engineering team said, there are so many false positive. Historically, I know that. And, and so now the task was pushed back into the security team to go ahead and fix it. Now, how does a platform like Armor Code can help? So first things first is we plug into all the various types of various tools and also to the ticketing system so that we can streamline the flow. So now what happens here is a zero day attack like Log4j happens. You go and you type in the platform, show findings, including Log4j, as simple as that. So we have customers who have half a million or a million findings, and you may find just 500 or 10,000, not 10,000, like that's for 10 million, sorry, for a very large customer. But in general, you will find a very small one. So in this particular customer case, what we happened was we logged in and we showed them 760 repositories were inactive because it's like, uh, as, as any developer will know, it's like a photos on your iPhone today where basically you just take the photos you never delete. So repositories are like that and not necessarily you want to go back like two, five years of the repositories which are inactive to search on them because they're irrelevant. So out of 800, we identified the four repositories that you did, uh, sorry, 40 repositories that you need to run on. And instead of 4,000 tickets, we created 40 tickets. So of course the work has significantly gone down. And not only that, because we integrate into the uh, development systems and all, we could actually tell, assign issue number to Mike and issue number two to John and issue number three to Nikhil. So instead of spending three months, we brought it down to three, and that is what the operations uh, powerful uh, brings to the table. So, the, an aspect—it's great to see that we can turn you know anything from these eight hundred down to forty. So, what's that? You know, getting here's the top five percent you know that of action that we actually need to take, and that sounds a lot more amenable, a lot more appealing to any ops team, any developer team to just say, okay, thank you, that's been prioritized, and fingers crossed, that's still correct as well. Part of the challenges I can also imagine, though, is that just like you have a, a lot of these repos that collect us, they're, they're no longer owned, maybe they're not even deploying to prod. I think, at least in my experience, I've still seen some of those types of repos still actually being deployed to prod. They're in revenue generating workflows, but they still don't have owners. So when we do talk about those aspects of, you know, of people and process, what are the ways that you also then try to fill the gap on people? Because that's an area that, um, you know, we can't do our, our asset inventory on, on who owns this quite as easily. Yeah. So uh, asset inventory, as you said, is as like a separate beast altogether. Mm -hmm. And there are other large companies which are doing that. Now, what happens here is um, if you talk to the customers and believe it or not, they will have hundreds of Google Excel sheets, which is talking about the application owner. And then they will not be able to update it that, you know, Nikhil left the company or Mike left the company five years ago and it's still showing to Nikhil. And when, the uh, you know, things, pardon my French here, hits the fan, <laughs> guess what happens is then you come in frantically saying, hey, find Mike and you can't find Mike. So anytime, whenever you're doing things manually, right? So this is where the process aspect come and people together is that there is a pain which is bound to happen. 
So what we do here is uh, we actually assign and connect into whether it's your HRMS system or in fact in your repository. So you know that who actually last touched it, right? So as a result, you know who is the most current guy because whoever may have been assigned. So whenever uh, the big point, uh, Mike, I'm trying to make here is the automation. Right. So like, OK, people is one aspect. And when you do things manually, then the next big thing is you have to do automation. So that is the another aspect which helps uh, uh, the companies. It's it's definitely a fan of, of, of automation. If I do something twice, I want to turn it bash script. If I run that bash script twice or three times, I want to turn that into probably proper code. Um, of course, I said I want to rather than I always do. So that's one of the catches because even as we're talking about this, there's legacy systems and the last person to touch code may have touched that code two years ago. And uh, that's still a problem. So I'm Curious too, as um, we, we, we've touched on a little bit of the asset inventory, the, the ownership, getting a risk-oriented approach to AppSec, which I think is what you were describing. This is the 5% that we really need to focus on. What were some of the themes then of the community coming together? Because everyone likes to talk about these are best practices, or at least these are good practices, or maybe just these are practices that have helped us, and this is why. What, what were some of the interesting themes that came out of those types of discussions in this community? So I think so. Um, number one thing what we did, which was very unique in the community, because there are thousands of communities. So when we started, we wanted to make sure this is not yet another community. So understanding the pain problem, we brought on the leaders with their different and differentiated background. So we had people from uh, EV vehicle industry. We had people from financial industry. We had people from uh, likes of the social media companies. And these are all like large Fortune 500 or you know global 2000 companies. And that uh, uh, basically uh, kind of the differentiation or, or basically uh, the different perspectives really helps. And what we did was we broke down and, you know, anybody should uh, can go and should go to the purple book and, and go through the chapters. But what we started was with the very basics, because a lot of times uh, people are confused what is software security versus application security versus product security. So number one thing we started with, hey, what is it? And, and I like to call it as a software security. And in fact, you know. Very recently, President Biden had this executive order talking about the same thing. So first things first is bringing everybody on the same level playing field. Then the second thing here is like once you know uh, we are all kind of running into the same problem uh, because in different companies it's called different. Then the second thing becomes is why. So then there was a big uh, education about why, right? Like okay, why different people in different companies are kind of you know needing those softwares. That's what we covered. And then the third thing was like, uh, how do you create the business case for that? That's another thing, because what happens is like you are a CISO, you have probably 30, maybe 35 if you're lucky, uh, or application security budget. Now, what's happening here is as the world is moving to the cloud, right? So the uh, and cloud providers take a lot of good care of the security, whether it is your um, uh, firewalls and stuff like that. Uh, I like your... Um, I like your <laughs> cat over there. <laughs> a little so, interruption. So no, no, absolutely. I got distracted, but for a good reason. <laughs> so, so basically, what happens is, so then we talked about like uh, uh, why the application security budget needs to be increased and how you can build a business case. And then the third things we also talked about software bill of material. That's another buzzword which is being talked about, right? But it's very important aspect. And and then so so these are the various topics that the community talk actually. We talk every month twice a 
uh, twice every month, uh, which is a very good thing. In fact, very recently, we launched a New York chapter. So, you know, for p- listeners who are in, in New York, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, we have some very good uh, senior leaders who are there. And what we are finding is we are having a community in uh, Chicago, Seattle, Houston, uh, Australia. So it's it's a global movement, Mike, now. And the idea here is that the broader perspectives we bring from the different part of the world's different diverse industries, the better knowledge and better uh, we can do as a security leaders. Yeah. Tell us a bit more, especially about building the business case for security and, and how that works. Because you know we were t- we, we've been talking about uh, automation and tools, obviously, but we also predicated this at the beginning, saying how important people are. So I'm curious to see or to understand, you know, what what some of these different leaders have been talking about in the sense of where they're prioritizing budget, where they're putting budget, and if they're doing a sense of log4j you know zero day or sort of fear-based uh if you will um bumps to try to say this is why we need more money or if they're saying we're building a program so we don't have to scramble for the next log4j and if that's a successful alternative yeah no i think so you brought up a good point and there are different leaders very differently and depending upon the industries yeah some get moved by fears and some get moved by uh, proactively by building a programs so a lot of leaders what we are seeing is they are educating both the leaders as well as their leaders as well as the team that there is a need for an application security program right so that is very very important and there is a big myth that historically that application security program need to be expensive and all there are whole bunch of open source communities like OASP and all where there are tools which are there for any languages right now of course there's no one size fits all and again we are building a commercial software but the things is there are a lot of individual tools like as I mentioned for SCSS, DAST and RASP there are a lot of open source tools are there so program means building a governance around defining the best practices and one of the big things which we are doing in this book is helping people define the best practices because what we are saying is from our experiences these are the things one need to do and then there's no one size fits all like everything else you take the program and tailor it to your needs so now what happens here is from uh, this perspective that you uh, when you have to build a program now historically what we have seen is that 30 percent budget used to be application security and people thought we will just get the individual tool like scss task and rasp now that's great so that is the technology aspect but like when instances like log4j happens often that is when the people thing comes in because now what happens here is then uh, when log4j happened and when solar winds happened you had to take the output from every tool scss dash rasp and all but then you go back into excel sheets you expect put everything into the excel sheets and that is where the mundane thing comes you have all these false positives and you have to sift through 10,000 findings, for example, for a medium organization for a log4j, and each finding takes 10 to 20 minutes, you do the maths. And in the business case, what the team came up with was like, okay, take the number of findings, 90 to 95% are uh, false positive. And then let's say if you just do a match of you have 10,000 finding and 9,000 to keep the math simple are false positive. And, and, and it takes like 10 minutes, so you're talking about 9,000 times 10 is 90,000 minutes to just sift through this false positives. And if the loaded cost of a security engineer, depending upon the different parts of the world in US, let's say it's 100 to 150 dollars, 
you are talking about you know tens and hundreds and thousands so this is where people realized that they were being penny wows pound foolish and i'm saying that they were it was okay when a zero day was happening once every five or ten years right then you could afford to do that but now when it's a christmas event happening every year guess what that's when you need to be proactive build a security program and have automation so that when it happens that the platform can go and sift out that nine thousand findings so that you have to focus on the things which is there so there is a technology aspect and that is where the need for a platform like armor code is becoming more and more imminent is because people are realizing that we need to simplify application security operations by building an application security management program yeah there, there there's a classic response or a phrase in, in security just it depends and that <laughs> falls into risk of course we're talking about it depends on what you're talking about a little bit of what you're talking to in the sense of um it depends on the budget on how, how people form their budget where they focus on and i think some of that it depends on the proactive side of things and here i'm thinking of cloud native versus legacy systems versus monoliths versus monoliths trying to be decomposed into microservices. So are, are, looking at this then to try and say, we want to build in security from a, I'm going to use another recent phrase, shift left cliche, um, but that's the idea to be defensive, to be more proactive about security so that the zero days are actually more contained, perhaps, at least that's a narrative to build. Uh, but so when the, the it depends from this like cloud or microservices or, or monoliths, how has that influenced either application security budgets or even just the adoption of open source, the help of open source or different ways to um, think about the, the it depends part of what teams are building? So, uh, so what happens is uh, you're spot on over there. Even in an organization, there are different business units and different engineering organizations. So you st we still run into organizations where one part of the business unit is like monolithic because they are building into chip or something like that, which gets released maybe once every twice a year or something like that. Now, in that particular case, moving uh, security to the left may not be as much beneficial, whereas the organization we are releasing uh, companies, like we have financial companies who are public companies, who are our customers, who are releasing software every day or every week. And guess what? In that, you really want to have shift left security. Now, one of the other challenges, what was happening with the traditional solutions for uh, shifting left and all, was that at the end of the day, there was no application security management layer, if you will, or the governance layer. So the weakest link is always the problem. So we talked to customers who had 50 application security engineers, but they have 5,000 pipelines. Now, what happens is when you are releasing 5,000 pipelines in a month and, and you still have the security gates manual, you know, then security 50 security team becomes a bottleneck. And this is where the a platform like Armor Code comes into play, where it can automate all of those governance play. And, and just to give you an example, so let's say if uh, Mike and John agree that, okay, these five issues are the ones I want to look into this particular release because when you are releasing once a week, you're not making a drastic changes, right? So that is one distinction that people need to do. People think about that, oh, I have uh, uh, five releases a week and they're sweating, but guess what? It could be as simple as changing an alphabet. That is the whole DevOps mentality. So the thing here is people need to take a step back and look what is being happening. And in that particular case, let's say if you are having a release and just to fix the spelling of John, 
guess what? Do you really need to run those thousand test cases? No. Do you really need to fix the thousand findings which you found last week and you thought it was going to be okay? No. So for those things which are minimal and we had agreed upon, there should be an again automation. And this is where, you know, platforms like Armor Coda is coming into play where once you agree and and one thing which is very important which is happening is that risk based as you said like historically when i was a developer i really didn't understand the notion of risk now thankfully in fact one of the big change we are seeing is a lot of cso's are also now reporting into cto organization so which is a big change organizationally that people are making instead of CISO reporting into CIO or CISO reporting directly to CEO or boards in certain cases. So now what's happening here is that at that point that when we are doing all these things, we need to agree that uh, if these issues are not fixed, what risk does it bring? So like again, and one of the features that in Armor Code we have is we delegate work, not responsibility. So we allow, and one of the big things which companies are doing is embracing security champion program. So, so what happens here is there's one AppSec engineer to 10 security champions to 10 uh, or 100 developers. Now what happens here is if there's one AppSec engineer to 100 developers, can you look and understand the level of details of the problem? No the best person to understand that how big that issue is developer. Now, what happens here is, with all due respect, the smartest of AppSec engineer when they are 100 or 200 developers is ending up doing program management and also managing the Excel sheets. So now, why don't we take that power and hand it over to the developers? So now in our platform, what we do is we let the developers go and say, I want to fix it. I don't want to fix it. Now, when they do that, we actually map it to the risk and we bring the visibility all to the engineering leadership. Because in the days before Armor Code or platforms like Armor Code, what used to happen is, and when I was a developer, I didn't know what to do, right? Now, what you will say is like, if I don't know and what risk is bring, then I'm focusing on revenue generating. But that is the visibility if you are bringing here. So that is the need to bring things into shift left or shift right is getting that risk-based approach and bringing that visibility so that is where sorry a long answer for a short question but you know it's it, it is uh, it's a very complicated and these are the kind of discussions we are having right like what is the right approach who should be owning what right and who still owns the responsibility but uh, you know you are like responsible for securing something but not having understanding of the code <laughs> yeah and it, i i like the principle of bringing more of the decision making into the developers especially about is this a vuln set aside the false positives even just is this phone high risk, low risk, and leave the false positive just an aspect of the feedback loop of the quality of the tooling that is fully the responsibility of security. But speaking of responsibility, you know, there, there are also often competing incentives here. And I don't mean, you know, bad actors in the sense of developers versus a, a, a conflict in that sense that, but more of developers see, this is the risk we have. We are prioritizing a release date. We're prioritizing uh, some some in, uh, engineering features where application security team might be prioritizing. Well, this is this falls against the best practice, or you know, this is what we learned from the OOPS top ten number three or four. Who who knows? Or some list that says this is why we want to fix this. So, help us you know tease out a little bit how that discussion of responsibility has played out in uh, across different organizations that you've talked to. So I think so. you touched a very important point because it's all about responsibilities, who owns what. And so 
few things which i notice which is happening and there is again it depends there is no one size fits all but what happens is depending upon the organization so for example if some is uh, organization is pure software organization so what we have noticed is in those cases the uh, ceos in lot of cases are re- reporting into the cto organization so that when they talk about risk the engineering leader also understands and the responsibilities at the engineering risk now one of the aspect what uh, you know cloud world used to say right like when amazons of the world came in and they used the word shared responsibility mm. in application security world also that words is very applicable it's not being talked about much which is called the shared responsibility so security is a shared responsibility between the security team and the development team to your point uh, uh, mike here that depending upon uh uh the issues uh it's it's no longer that you know uh, it's just a security team because it's the development team who's writing the software and moving fast I'll of your cat here <laughs> and and uh, so um, so basically but what happens is with that you have these two uh, responsibilities so there are several different things which are happening right where we are having this responsibilities and and what companies like armor code do, are doing in the platform bringing that visibility and accountability so for instance now when a developer is deferring 50 issues and if it is going to uh, impact the security um, uh, scope right then the leadership knows about that so then it's being a conscious choice right so that is where and in fact you know mike uh, this is kind of very interesting that we are talking about volume 2 of our book and 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 in the volume 2 of the purple book this will be an area because this was an area where a lot of leaders said that needs more attention mm. and that's the area we are going to go into more details like first volume 1 was like okay why application security what is application security what is software what is the business case it was like uh, simon snake says starting with the why right now the things here is like how we can make it better how we can fix it and it's not the security guy it's not the engineering guy who owns the responsibility so that's the area and that's the thing which security leaders are talking about next uh, and that is what we are even driving in the purple book community and that's where you know i love and encourage people to come in here is because we embrace this diverse perspective the pain points and eventually my belief is that at least 60 to 70% should be the same irrespective of the industry the best practices and and if we can over the period of time thrash to 70% common practices whether you are a manufacturing whether you are a banking system or whether you are a social media company the world will be a much safer place because then you could take those 70 things and then tweak it to your individual industries in 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 one industry responsibility may lie under engineering organization whereas in another industry uh, organization the responsibility may lie in security but at least people are aware and uh, so so that is where uh, i i uh, you know when it comes to responsibility yeah it definitely wouldn't we're we're still i think it's fair to say more art than science among uh, all of these practices so anything that at least if we can more agree on what what the art looks like will at least be one step towards getting to science uh, maybe is kind of a a closing question here you're mentioning volume 2 of the book and things that have changed things that haven't been addressed or appreciated well enough or perhaps need more investment maybe give us some 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 hints some ideas of what what else might be in that volume 2 or what are the new conversations that um the you know the community is having this year 
So uh, one of the uh, piece here, right, and and what we found out because we started this uh, community almost a year and a half, like it just sounds like yesterday. And what has happened is, uh, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And and the whole idea about this book was to kind of keep it open and and uh, think through it. And as the security leaders got together from these diverse backgrounds, we realized that uh, yes, it's very important. The message is clear. That's why we had like a record number of people joining at AppSecCon because uh, there is a big awareness that uh, application security needs to be addressed. Now, the second piece is like, and then that's what we call it as a victory, right? Victory of like the whole idea about that community and the book was to bring education and you don't need to pay $100,000 to, you know, organizations or get a consulting from big fours of the world, right? So again, uh, yes, and I'm not undermining any of them. Some of them are sponsors of that event, so which is good thing. So I think so we all believe in having that education of that. So that is the main goal of volume one, which is done. Now, the second piece which we are hearing is like, okay, now that we know that why we should focus on is how we should focus on it. And again, keeping the people aspect is like, okay, we need to have a security leaders, but at the same time, the technology leaders. So one of the things which we are doing here is the community, which was primarily focused for security leaders, we are looking as the demand is coming from the people and the community leaders is to start adding the technology leaders into this community and again you know it's too early mike i was on a call earlier year with a new york chapter lead uh, about uh, talking about the volume two but it is right hot of the press if you will is that yes we may need to embrace and bring some more engineering leader into the community and the topics about that and we are working on the table of contents if you will would be how do we have the responsibilities how do we ensure uh, that uh, we kind of do it how we make it incentive because again when since the community is about the people we are not going to talk about you know rocket science and the technology or armored code or xyz no what we are going to talk about is as a engineering leader as a security leader now that we know that it needs two people to make things secure it's everybody's responsibility now it is about like what and how we can help. So the one thing which we are embracing is as a culture that security leaders are opening up and not saying that, hey, just pushing the ball over the fence. It's like, okay, how can we work together? And the same thing is with the engineering leaders. Hey, we understand the significance of security. How can we help? Right. So that is the camaraderie. So that is where you will see in the evolution of Purple Book as well as the volume two will be like there might be more leaders of, um, you know, from coming from uh, engineering along with that, because that is where we believe is the um, medium uh, or happy medium for uh, software security. Yeah. And that'll be great to see that evolution because there's a big difference between here's what application security think the practices should be, go forth and do them versus engineering being part of the discussion that says, wait, do you re- do you realize exactly how we build software today? Do you realize actually how we deploy it, what we need? And that's communication is, I think, more more fruitful for developing practices that are going to actually be adopted and executed on in, in any meaningful manner. No, and absolutely. And we did have a couple of engineering leaders. So we had a good money CTO or ex-VP of engineering of New York Times. So we did that on purpose, right? When we curated the community to get that kind of inputs now what we found out here is that we need more of that and that is the whole idea about is like with the communities we are learning from each other it's a community-based learning if you will 
That's awesome. Yes. And I think a theme is another theme in security is we always want more and we would always want more of your time to kill, but we're going to have to wrap up here. So I want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. I want to say thank you to John and thank you to everybody who's been listening. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now and return with news of the week. <laughs> 